Tonight, who body snatched Doug Ford? It's Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. I'm David Menzies, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Well, folks, the other day I was thinking about one of my all-time favorite films. It's a bit sci-fi and a whole lot of horror. I speak of the 1978 reboot of the 1956 film, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Now, granted, the title is more cheesy than a bucket full of Bulgarian feta, but the content is downright disturbing. They come from a dying world. They drift through the universe, pushed on by the solar winds. They adapt and they survive. The function of all life is survival. Sleep, sleep, sleep. From deep space, sleep. The seed is planted. Sleep, sleep. Terror grows. Now, as the title implies, the film's plot revolves around the replacement of people. When the alien life forms take over a person, they look exactly like their former human selves. But appearances can be deceiving because while the body snatch victim may appear to be a genuine member of Homo sapiens, they have been reduced to a mere Xerox copy. Their DNA is now 100% alien as opposed to human. And so the conquest of the world begins one body snatched victim at a time. Now, I was reminiscing about this fantastic, albeit frightening, flick because lately I've been pondering who is responsible for the body snatching of Premier Doug Ford. Oh, to be clear, I'm not saying that this man has been transformed into a plant-based alien. Rather, he seems to be resembling something far worse. He's a liberal now, or at least some hybrid that resembles a liberal. Just check out how much time he's spending these days with his best new boyfriend, Justin Trudeau. Indeed, this uncanny transformation over four years has been quite something to witness. How did Doug Ford, the king of Ford Nation, morph into the prince of cancel culture, a leader who now resembles a liberal lackey as opposed to a genuine conservative? How did a man who ran the 2018 election with slogans such as for the people and Ontario open for business, decide to screw the people of Ontario and shutter so many businesses during the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, unless of course you were part of the chosen few such as Walmart and Costco and the provincially owned Liquor Control Board of Ontario. And of course the Ford family owned Deco Labels, an enterprise I understand from the scuttlebutt where business has never been better. Yet, be it lockdowns or vaccine apartheid, Ford has resembled less a leader and more of a certain pop culture marine mammal. They call him Flipper, Flipper, faster than life. Yeah, in the past two years especially, Doug Ford has done so many backflips on policy 
that it would make Olympic gold medal gymnast Nadia Comaneci blush. Meanwhile, Queens Park has resembled that place in the song Home on the Range, you know, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. That's because if you happen to be a PCMPP with a contrarian viewpoint, especially when it comes to lockdowns and mandatory vaccines, well, you are removed from caucus. Just ask Belinda Carajalios and Roman Baber and Randy Hillier and Rick Nichols, and the list goes on. And what of the tens of thousands of former members of Ford Nation? I say former because in 2020, Ford referred to these supporters as a, quote, a bunch of yahoos, end quote. Yahoos, eh? Simply because they were protesting on the lawns of Queen's Park. Simply because these people were losing their jobs and their businesses and their livelihoods, all in the name of some doomed cockamamie scheme to reduce the transmission of the coronavirus. You know, many observers likened the bunch of Yahoo statement to Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables comment, but I say no. Forsler was far, far worse than what Miss Clinton had to say. You see, Hillary was targeting the enemy, i.e. Trump supporters. Doug was aiming his gun at his home base. Unbelievable. But earlier this month, there was another indication that Doug Ford is more closely resembling Doug Fraud these days. Namely, we went to the 2022 Ford Nation election kickoff event at the Toronto Congress Centre. Now, for context, I've been attending Ford Nation events for some 15 years now. I'm typically warmly welcomed. Oh, but not this time. I was declared journalist non grata by Ford's spokeswoman, Ivana Yelich. Check out the video evidence. I know you said that. I understand. I why? You leave now. Why? Zach? Why, why is that? Because we're not giving you accreditation to this oh. event. Oh, and incredibly, the Toronto Sun's Joe Warmington was also denied entry. This was spectacular, given that the scrawler is perhaps the best city columnist in Canada and no mainstream media journalist in the past two decades has been more fair to the Ford family than Joe Warmington. Even worse, both Joe and I were not given reasons for our expulsion. Is that too much to ask? Well, apparently, yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, the PC party rolled out the red carpet for such MSM Vipers as the Toronto Star and the CBC. Was it only a decade ago when Doug Ford and his dearly departed brother, the late great Rob Ford, would refer to the Toronto Star as, quote, a bunch of maggots, end quote? Well, that was then and this is now because not only is Dougie on great terms with the Toronto Star, but he even gave this failing rag a half billion dollar lifeline to stay afloat. Check out this public service announcement, courtesy of the new Blue Party. Did you know the Toronto Star got the first license in Ontario to make an online casino? Why would Ontario let liberal and left-wing establishment media, like the Toronto Star, suck $500 million out of the pockets of Ontario families? Will Doug Ford defund the Toronto Star? No, because Doug Ford approved this liberal jackpot. 
Doug Ford gave a $500 million online gambling license, the first of its kind in Ontario, to the Toronto Star. Gee, Premier, what was the unspoken quid pro quo behind that deal? That the Toronto Star will give you favorable press coverage during the current election campaign? Was that it? If so, I hope you got that deal in writing because expect to be backstabbed the nanosecond the Toronto Star and company dig up some dirt on you or your family or your party. Oh, by the way, I would be remiss in mentioning that while Joe Warmington and I were given the bums rush at the Ford Nation event, the same could not be said of the Toronto Sun's Brian Lilly. No, Ivana Yelich welcomed Brian with <clears throat> open arms, given that she is Lilly's mistress. Not only is this a blatant conflict of interest, it is, to the best of my knowledge, an undeclared conflict of interest. How can the guy covering Queen's Park be engaged in a horizontal jogging position with the woman who is the premier spokesingy? Well, at least we now know how Lily gets those scoops regarding affairs at Queen's Park. It's simply a matter of pillow talk. What a sordid disgrace. But back to the de-evolution of Doug Ford. The question is this, as Fred Willard used to say, Hey, what happened? Yeah, what the hell happened? Well, I think Doug Ford is a weakling. I think he got seduced by power, or at least the power brokers seduced him. He sure as hell is not Rob Ford. Doug, like Rob, once despised the elites. Now he gushes over them. He once had nothing good to say about members of the mainstream media, and now he adores them. He's forgotten his grassroots friends and supporters. They're chump change now, as opposed to forces of nature that got Ford into the position of premier in the first place. And how odd that given the reception we received at the Ford Nation event, that Rebel News is about as welcome as poison ivy at a nudist colony. After all, Doug was a featured guest speaker at a Rebel Live event some five years ago. And check this out. Here is Doug Ford at Rebel News headquarters back in September 2017, being interviewed by yours truly. He's back. I'm in the studio with Doug Ford, who earlier this month announced at Ford Fest, the big family barbecue in Etobicoke, that he is indeed going to run for mayor in 2018. Uh, Doug, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on. Fantastic. Thank you. Now, Doug, obviously the first yeah. question is, what prompted your decision to run for mayor? Well, it, really what we've seen uh, going on in the, in the city here, David, if it's uh, all, all John Tory's broken promises, be it uh, he said he was going to outsource the garbage east of Young, he hasn't uh, outsourced it. He, he wasn't able to do it. He said he'd keep the taxes low. Uh, taxes have, have gone up exponentially. Uh, you look at the, the uh, traffic in, in the city, the smart track is dead. He said he'd that was his 20, big transit master plan. He right? gets the city going. We have the worst traffic in North America. It's gridlock uh, right, right across the city. And the sole source deals are, are happening at a rapid fashion. He spent over a billion dollars more a year, and that breaks down to $1,000 per household that he's spending of, of the taxpayer's uh, money. I'm always a believer, David, that the taxpayer can spend it a lot uh, wiser than, than the government. Mm. 
So that, that the, these are just a, a few few things that uh, we you know the people of Toronto are, are looking for a principled leader to make a decision and move forward on that uh, decision. That doesn't happen under John Tory. So I imagine you're going to emulate what your uh, brother stood for. Mm -hmm. I, I thought one of the greatest uh, electioneering slogans of all time, um, uh, respect for taxpayers. You That's want right. to derail the gravy train, which seems to be, from what you're saying, is back on the rails at City Hall. Oh, it's going full steam down the tracks right now. Okay. Uh, all the budgets are up. Uh, the, the reserves are all depleted. They are facing $300 million uh, a big hole uh, at, at the end of this budget uh, cycle. So he has no choice but to raise taxes or play the shell game and shuffle money around, but the the uh, city's in a real financial uh, disaster right now. Mm. Now, Doug, going back to 2014, uh, John Tory prevailed with 40% yeah. of the vote. You finished a very respectable second yeah. place with 33.7%. Yeah. What makes you think uh, the results would be any different in uh, 2018? Well, I just asked people that uh, voted uh, for Rob, and, and there was 15% that didn't vote for me the second time around. But uh, I love speaking of those people and asking them one simple question. And I asked the media, and I ask anyone out there, what has John Tory done? Mm. He's done absolutely nothing. No one can come up with anything other than he's towed a few cars. And that's uh, you know that's that's his uh, platform, and we're we're just going to hold him to account. And so, so it's been a matter of lunch bag letdown. They saw John Tory as a, a savior, but yeah. his actions have uh, proved well, otherwise. Well, I, I, again, I ask the simple question: Is every single person that voted for John Tory last time going to vote for him this time? Mm -hmm. The answer is overwhelmingly no. They aren't. He's going to have some people, but. Uh, we're uh, we're going to chip away at him, I, and I always say we have no place to but to go up, and he has no place but to go downhill, and he's going to go downhill quicker than the Canadian bobsled team. So he's <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty he quick. Uh, but yeah. I, I imagine, Doug, the big X factor here yeah. is if there is a um, a strong candidate from the left mm -hmm. that will run in the next election. Uh, I mean, we had that with Olivia Chow, although I thought she w she ran a very weak campaign. Yeah. But do you have any indication that there might be uh, another high-profile uh, left-of-center candidate that, that's running? Because I would imagine that would hurt Tory and help you. Yeah, I always define the left in two categories. There's the, the left, uh, as I say, a little too far left, and there be it the... the passionate environmentalists they're jumping up and down with the signs of tree huggers and yes. and the protesters and then there's the frontline hardworking uh, union member correct that yeah. uh, that traditionally may vote NDP uh, but we have their support John Tory does not have their support so it's kind of split into uh, two categories there but it doesn't bother me if the left's in, if the left's out. I'm going to hold them to account. Folks, not only was that a cordial interview, but upon its conclusion, Doug actually pitched a weekly rebel news show, Ford Nation. The signs were to be red, white, and blue, his choosing, and I was going to be the host. But that was when Premier Ford was simply Doug Ford, a man who was running for mayor of Toronto the PC Palace coup involving the ouster of arena slash beaver inspector Patrick Brown would not occur until January 2018. In any event, days turned into weeks as I contacted Doug, asking him when we were going to launch the inaugural Ford Nation show. 
My emails and my texts and my voicemails went unreturned. I finally caught up with Doug in November of that year at a press conference. I apologize for nagging him for the past two months, but we had to know when are we going to launch this show? And that's when I got a very early indicator as to what sort of a leader Doug Ford is or was going to become, which is to say, Doug told me if we're up to him, we'd film that first episode tomorrow. But then he said, you see, Dave, it's the team. The team, Dave, the team has other ideas. And the team strategy does not include a weekly Rebel News show. So even before Doug was a candidate for the PC leadership, he had already been co-opted by the team, whoever the hell these puppet masters are. So in retrospect, it should come as no surprise, really, that the 2022 vintage of Doug Ford barely resembles the 2017 version, Doug Ford has effectively been body snatched. The patriarch of Ford Nation, the common man who drives a common van, has been replaced, not by an alien species, mind you, but by those nebulous backroom boys who obviously think the key to being a successful progressive conservative is to be, well, more progressive than conservative to be more liberal, in fact. I can't see the difference. Oh, and by the way, guys, kindly ask Aaron O'Toole how that idiotic strategy worked out for him. In the final analysis, unlike the 1955 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, there was no du rigueur Hollywood happy ending for the 78 reboot. In case you haven't seen this flick, and spoiler alert, folks, the movie ends with the beginning of humanity's extinction event. The residents of San Francisco have all been replaced with other life forms. Sure, they look like members of Homo sapiens, but they're not, as they go about planning a conquest of not just one city, but of the entire planet. It's a sad, somber ending. I just wonder if such an ending is in the cards for the governing PC party come election day just two weeks away. What we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, rece at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet, or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet, are for our actually young global leaders of the World Economic right. Forum. Well, how do you like that, folks? The World Economic Forum is about to have its annual meeting in Davos kicking off this Sunday, May the 22nd. And of course, Rebel News is sending an all-star team of journalists to cover the WEF annual meeting. And leading up that team, well, is an all-star to be sure. That would be our wonder from down under, Avi Yamini. And he joins me now. How you doing there, Avi? G'day, David. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> the questions now get tougher, Avi. Now, I understand you're about an hour away from uh, Davos as we speak. But, you know, we can't help 
uh, think of the term the Great Reset when we talk about the WEF, Abby. And I'm just curious, in how do you define the Great Reset? Um, I'll probably define it the way they define it. Building back better, is that not it? Mm. Starting from scratch for everyone else but them. A bit like the concept of you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. So it'll be interesting to see what actually plays out here over the next week. And, you know, Avi, that is the catchphrase, of course. But I can't help but feel that with the events of the last two years around the world, and especially so in Australia and Canada, I would argue, it kind of feels like we're living in the Great Reset. So many people have been thrown out of work. So many businesses have gone under. Um, so many rights and freedoms have been eclipsed. I mean, geez, if this isn't already the Great Reset, I'd hate to see the Great Reset that the WEF has in mind. I don't know, Matthews. I think it's all going to plan just perfectly, and that's why it's so important that we come here and tell the other side of the story from here, from Switzerland, because um, we can't rely on the mainstream media, not the taxpayer-funded media, not in Canada, not certainly in Australia. So we've trekked down here. We're about, uh, I think we're about almost three days into traveling. We've just arrived uh, here in an hour from Davos, uh, not long ago in the middle of nowhere, but we're ready to get to work and present the other side of the story, show people what the plan really is for the rest of the world. It's, uh, I think it's interestingly enough, w walking around here in Switzerland where you wouldn't even know COVID exists, um, the rest of the world have, has been like Australia, I know, has been suffering under some of the guidelines and the rules and the restrictions and the ideas that have come out of. Uh, the World Economic Forum and the WHO, both which are here now um, in a place that's not doesn't really have any sort of COVID restrictions at the moment. So it's another case of um, putting it upon everyone else whilst uh, not having to live through it yourself. So uh, over the next week, there's, I think, five or six of us here. Um, watch this space. Well, Avi, I'm so happy that you didn't have to make one of your transfers at Pearson International in Toronto because you'd think you were in the thick of COVID with all the lineups, the random testing, the questionnaires. Um, it is out of control. But of course, according to Pre, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and our uh, transportation minister, it's our fault, even though travel capacity is only 70% of what it was in 2019. But that's a topic for another story. You know, Avi, I'm very curious. I've never covered a WEF meeting. I don't think you have before. But what exactly do WEF members discuss at a WEF annual meeting? In other words, do you know what is on the agenda and, and what's up for discussion come Sunday? Well, we know with the WHO, which is also holding at the same time the meeting about the uh, pandemic treaty where they essentially want to control the rest of the world and uh, because they, you know, they did such a great job of getting everything right at every <laughs> step of the way during COVID. So now they want to ensure that next time we absolutely listen to everything they say and there's no way out of it. They want to override, uh, you know, each country's uh, constitutions and, and, and local laws. Um, 
But I, I guess it's a similar thing you're going to see out of the WEF. They want to control the world. They want to control everyone else. And these are people on any issue, whether it's uh, COVID, whether it's climate change, you're going to see them come from around the world in their private jets, in their limousines, um, to preach to us how we must all live and 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 dictate to us how we're uh, we're going to live from now on. And uh, countries around the world, including Australia, the Prime Minister, we've got an election this week and. Uh, Come next week, it doesn't matter which side of politics, they're going to sign up to whatever garbage is going to come out of Switzerland next week, whether it's in the WEF or from the WHO. You know, Avi, uh, you raise an interesting, interesting point in terms of the members. Um, I'm wondering, if, you know, if you go back a couple of years, we saw what happened with the UK vis-a-vis uh, the uh, European unit, uh, Union, uh, Brexit, which was uh, a, a laughable concept in the beginning, or so the elites thought, became reality and the UK uh, divorced itself from the economic union. Um, I'm wondering, are there any countries right now that are part of the WEF that are having maybe buyer's remorse and saying, you know what, the direction this organization is going, it isn't what we signed up for and uh, maybe it's time to make our exit as well. I think I think the WEF has gotten away with um, with immunity for so long because people there hasn't been a, a real light shone upon it, um, which is what we're hoping to do next week here. I think um, until now there's not been much scrutiny, so there's not much political will, or at least. Um, public outrage at what they are dictating to us. I I think we are going to see what you're talking about more with the WHO in a more immediate um, future, especially, you know, we're going to see countries or at least populations talk about um, leaving the WHO, the UN. And and that's the thing. We're all member states of the WHO. The WEF is a little bit differently how it operates. It's more of a private um, exclusive club that uh, every prime minister and every president and of every persuasion seems to want to be a member of on a personal level and have a platform there. The WHO, though, as uh, as each country, we're all members of it, and uh, now they want to they they want to up the ante with regards to that membership. I'm hoping that next week we see. Uh, from Australia, with Australia specifically, that, that balance of power in the election is shifted to uh, freedom-focused independence, and we've been covering a lot of that in in Australia over the past few weeks uh, with our special OzDecides.com um, uh, project. But we've seen that there is a shift, and a lot of those candidates have talked about exiting the WHO or even the UN. So it will be interesting with regards to Australia, I'm hoping is a start of something um, that shifts away from that globalist controlling, elitist controlling um, kind of structure we've, we've grown into in the last two years suffering with the oh, consequences of that. 100%, Abby. And I got to tell you, I mean, when it comes to the mainstream media, it seems to me that they either turn a blind eye to WEF shenanigans or exactly. they actually serve as outright cheerleaders for this organization. That won't be the case with you and other members of Team Rebel News. Uh, I'm sure you're going to ask some 
prickly, perhaps impolite questions if you do indeed get the chance to do so. Uh, I'm just wondering what your reception is going to be like, because uh, it's certainly not going to be a love-in a la so many members of the mainstream media, is it now? Well, just it, just like I said a moment ago, you know, it's not only political figures and presidents and prime ministers that want seem to want membership to this um, exclusive club. It's also the mainstream media, it's, and, and, and it's the owners of those networks. And as you know, um, I don't think Ezra's trying to join the WEF. He just <laughs> wanted to get to the bottom of it. And when we say prickly questions, we're just going to ask what the average Joe wants to know. You know, these people are telling us how we should lead our lives with regards to everything. Um, I think that the questions that we ask, yeah, might make them feel uncomfortable, but I guarantee you I feel quite comfortable asking them. Fantastic. Well, Abby, we're running out of time. So an exit question. If you were to get the ear of Klaus Schwab, what question would you ask him, my friend? What he owns and whether he's willing to give it up to me. <laughs> well, I think that's when I just want to make him happy. <laughs> I think that's when Klaus Schwab turns into Sergeant Schultz and does the <laughs> I know nothing. I saw I nothing, nothing routine. <laughs> Well, right. Abby, it's great that you're down there. I know you're going to do just a, a, an excellent job. Uh, be safe while you're there. And I look forward uh, to the reports from you and our other members. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all the viewers that are supporting this campaign. Uh, it's really important. We couldn't do it without you guys. I'm just going to go head off to sleep. I apologize if I made zero <laughs> sense. Well, hopefully I didn't put you to sleep, Avi, but there you go. And that was Avi Amini somewhere near Davos. He said the middle of nowhere. Maybe that's for security reasons, but keep it uh, tuned to Rebel News, folks. Uh, Avi and company are going to tell you what's what and who's who in the WEF Zoo in the days ahead. Keep it here. More of the Ezra Levent Show to come right after this. Well, folks, we got plenty of response to Ezra's monologue on the debate that happened on Monday in Toronto regarding the Ontario election. Gary Hansen writes, an insult to the people of Ontario, not qualified to govern our province. You know, I agree with you. I hated the debate. There was so much over-talking, even though there, there was a silencer button, but I don't think it was ever used. I think people just tuned out. Maybe people are going to tune out of the election as well. After all, who do you vote for? Don Martin writes, they all look like poorly programmed robots, especially Schreiner. Well, that would be the Green Party leader. And again, uh, I wonder what is the choice for the people of Ontario, especially those who want to vote Conservative? As I mentioned in my monologue, I think that ship has sailed. You know, it reminds me of the tagline, folks, of the movie uh, Aliens vs. Predator, which was this, no matter who wins, we lose. Well, folks, that wraps up another edition of the Ezra Levent Show. The big boss man, Ezra, he'll be back tomorrow night for his show. In the meantime, keep fighting for freedom. Adam Sos here for Rebel News, and we're here in down 
town Calgary for a protest in response to the leaking of a decision from the United States Supreme Court on Roe v. Wade. Now, this decision, which has not yet been released, would effectively overturn Roe v. Wade and return authority and regulation of abortion back to the states. Many consider Roe v. Wade to be a landmark case on abortion rights and have therefore across the United States, very often with an intent to intimidate judges, and now here in Calgary, gathered to stand up for what they believe is their fundamental right to abortion. If you don't know how to pronounce your local Indigenous nation's name, we won't say your story of origin, acknowledge stolen lands, imposed economic oppression. Well, we attempted to speak to some of the organizers and some of the people here to get their side of the story on this pro-abortion protest. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there's been a bit of a concerted effort among the organizers and some of the people here to tell people not to speak to us. Those people are very happy to speak to the mainstream media, of course, but unfortunately, we aren't going to be able to get that side of the story. And unlike the March for Life, we've not seen a counter-protest contingent here, so we're unable to speak to those people as well. So uh, a little bit of a short and quiet day, it seems. We're going to hang around and capture the content, capture some people's speeches, uh, and then we'll make our way out of here. I acknowledge them regularly and say, I love you. I will meet you somewhere. But you didn't get to live to 150 years old or 100 years old or 80 years old. You didn't even get to see air. And that was what was best for them and for me. And if we believe that souls will come to this earth whenever they need to, I'm going to meet that person. And they know that I love them. And I could not take care of them. And I wish that I could, but I could not. And that is not my moral failure. Because at the end of the day, a government that cares about babies doesn't de-index the child tax benefit that cut child poverty in half. So no lack of action in downtown Calgary today. The pro-choice, pro-abortion protest that's taking place was actually originally intended to take place at City Hall, but there's already a pro-Palestinian protest, which you can see behind me, taking place. So they decided to move over to Olympic Plaza today. Well, there's certainly a great amount of attention paid by the pro-abortion, pro-choice rally taking place to street church here. Perhaps they're under the impression that there's a counter-protest going on, but that's simply not the case. Um, this is part of Pastor Arthur Provlowski's street ministry, and they gather here several times a week in order to feed Calgary's unhoused communities. We heard frequent uh, allegations, implications that uh, Christians or pro-lifers simply don't care about people after they're born. But what we're seeing here is a witness to the contrary. This church community here feeding people who need to be fed. You know, Christian message is always and always have been about life. From the moment of conception, either you are strong and on a high rise or you are on the, on the streets, we are right there right here you can see about 100 150 people in a lineup and that is going on three times a week so we are here regardless and we will always take care of those less fortunate my friend without these people we cannot do nothing much <laughs> honestly they give you food they give you everything i don't know why people are complaining about them they help you. Is that too much for us? They help. Look at me. I'm on the street here for that long. Maybe this is going to be my best food I will eat for the next one week. 
so you don't agree with the people over there saying they're bad guys and they're not nice? It's a free country. They might have their own opinion. They have their own opinion. But you know, even if you're twin brothers, you're not gonna you're not gonna agree on everything. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> that would be utopia. <laughs> Everybody disagrees. So now they're there and these are here. But this one here, I know they give me food if I got no food. Well, this uh, pro-abortion, pro-choice rally in Calgary is wrapping up. As you can hear behind me, there were a couple of notable figures here, including an NDP MLA, as well as a Calgary City Councilor Giancarlo Cara and Calgary Mayor Gioti Gondek. They all spoke in support of this event. We were happy to be here to cover this story and bring some different perspectives on this tense issue within society right now. As always, I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. For Rebel News, I'm Adam Sose.